Do you think owners? Do you think owners in hockey? I know football is different. You have your Jerry Jones and all that stuff. But do you think owners in hockey specifically should be involved in decisions, or do you feel like that there should be that separation from president GM to ownership? They should be involved on a higher level. So what I mean by that is they don't need to be involved in the day-to-day minutia of the team. If you're going to sign a star player, yeah, they need to be involved. They yeah. And by the way, if it's a franchise player, they should be in the damn room and, and be extolling how much you want the player, how much you want to get him signed, how much he means to the team, the organization, the city, you know, all that stuff. Um, but as it relates to a, a GM's vision of how to build a team, the hirings, firings, all that stuff. Yeah. If you're going to fire the coach, you need to apprise the, the owner of it and, and tell him why him or her, why uh, outside of, outside of being a player, what, what's your dream job in the game of hockey? I don't, I don't know if I have one now. <laughs> really? Uh, like where are you at with hockey emotionally? Uh, in as far as a job, <laughs> no, uh, no, just like you know, just you know, my my question is, you know, you played a long time in the NHL, you had extremely successful career. How was the transition to life after hockey? You know, there's a lot of guys, lots and lots yeah. and lots of guys that really struggle with the with not, um. Purpose. No, the purpose, the structure of, you know, being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Um, the, the camaraderie about being with the guys, you know, just By the way, something- and they're willing to do that when it's the head coach, but they're not willing to do it when it's their wife. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And that's when you see the, the things fall apart in a hurry. Laundry versus squats is a little bit different. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so how uh, was it? Did you, ever- uh, it, it was, I would say it, it helped, uh, number one to have some runway vis-a-vis my contract. It was probably a couple years where I would watch our games in Philly and I would be on my couch here, you know, rehab and do whatever, but I'd be watching the games going, oh, yeah, you know, you can read the play, you know, what's going to happen. Like, don't make that play. Don't make it made the play. And you're like, you know, you if you were there, you could fix the problem. They signed Briz. He's a mess. He's acting out because nobody was there to keep him in line. Um, you know, just it, it was probably two years of watching it that way before I was like, okay, I'm 40 years old now. <laughs> I'm way too old. Like, I, if even if I wanted to try to play, I would not be anywhere near as good as when I got hurt. And, I, you know, once I was stopped looking at the game like I was playing and just started looking at the game like, okay, how can I help a guy? How can I – they might – they're not going to see the game the way I see it. They're not going to be able to do certain things that I did. How can I help them with little intricacies to add to their game that are going to give them, you know, the ability to continue to improve, the ability to read plays maybe a certain way? Yeah, uh, but you're still – I'm not talking about that. You're still talking about you being involved, being involved in that dressing room, talking to the boys still, all that kind of stuff, right? I'm talking about when you retired. I'm talking about <laughs> when you stepped away. Uh, oh, you mean like most when I got out of hockey in general? Like yes. when you stepped away and you were oh, not I was, involved. So I, I remember I, I called Dale. I said, because um, every year I did a one-year deal with, with Dale. I just, you know, I, you know, do this, do this, and and I'm good. You know, we'll we'll just keep this going. And then I got to the third year, and the it was right as the pandemic was starting, and I knew I wasn't coming back. So the pandemic hit, and I'm like, listen, I just want to let you know, I'm I'm done. I'm not I'm not going to come back. It's you know, I appreciate everything you did for me and 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 the hard work, but you know what, I just need to do something different. A lot of guys with a career like yours, they they ride off into the sunset. You didn't have that. Does does? Yeah, but I'm not doing a Getsy World Tour. <laughs> so so you're no like a lot of guys aren't happy if they they walk away with an injury and or something like that. But I mean, 
does what you accomplished make it easier, I guess, so to speak? Yeah, I don't. As far as walking the game and and I, like I haven't, I you know, like I left Florida and I, I literally didn't watch hockey for a year. <laughs> I was busy, you know, building out our travel business, you know, with the kids, doing all kinds of stuff and just immersed in day-to-day life and, and not really focused on it because I didn't need to. And, I, you know, I you watch the odd game. My kids would watch a game. I'd pop in, watch for a little bit, you know, sit on the couch and hang out and talk to them while the game's going on. But I didn't really, you know, I spent 30, you know, 30-some years playing hockey or being a part of hockey with broader goals and aspirations and – and at that point, I was just like, oh, I'm done. I'm I'm good. I need a break. Yeah. Any of your kids play? No. They did. And they. my older one played till he was like 14. And then uh, my younger one played till he was like 13, maybe 12. Did they like it? They did. And, you know, I like I, I t- every year I told him, I said, you look like, if you don't look like you're having fun, I'm going to tell you. So my middle, my middle son, you know, just looked like he was just out there, like just, you know, and having fun with his friends, but not having fun playing the game. And I'm like, Hey dude, are you not having fun? Like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to play hockey. I already played. (laughs) Like, I don't care. Go do something else. You are going to play a sport, but you need to do something else. And so he picked up basketball and loved it. And, you know, started playing basketball every summer and in school and, and uh, and then my older son saw how much fun he was having and was like, yeah, I like that way better. And he started getting into basketball and they, and they play lacrosse now too. And so it was uh, it it gave me a lot of free time because as you know, when you're when your kids playing hockey, you got to be a coach yeah. of some sort. That's right. So well, I was going to I was going back and forth to two separate ranks because they were playing at the same time, they were practicing at the same time. So I was trying to allocate my time to both to a certain extent. And so your kids, so your, your boys maybe transitioned out of hockey and like going into high school. Yeah. Yep. Cause it's interesting, you know, Andrew and I, we talk about this and his little guy, uh, you know, uh, doesn't, doesn't play. He's really into basketball. He's into, he's into other sports and it's just, yeah. it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, professional hockey players that played a long time, their their give a shit meter uh, <laughs> to drive their kids to 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 play the game, I don't think is high. I think you get you get some that are like you're playing and they're diehards, or you get people like us that are like, yeah, I want my kid to have fun. Being a kid is about having fun. It's not about it being a job, and you know, yeah. Did you ever like basketball growing up? Other than the Michael Jordan years, I never watched basketball. I watched basketball every I night. I watched. Uh, I love the Lakers. Yeah, I was a big Lakers fan. Yeah. So who do your kid? Who do your kids like then? Uh oh man, who do they like? That's a great question. You know, we're not. We're just kind of watch. I don't know if they have. You know, like my older boy likes Tyler Hero in Miami. Um. They're down to the Celtics right now, three to yeah. two. My middle son, you know, he likes LeBron. He likes um, Russell Westbrook when he was in Oklahoma. Uh, Not when he was with the Lakers. No, no. <laughs> uh, you know, they like John ja Morant. They like, uh, you know, some of the new guys coming up. Yeah. Okay. My guy's a big. I mean, we we kind of took off when the Bucks were when the Bucks were getting hot. He fell in love with Giannis. So. My guy's nine, just an absolute basketball junkie, kind of like Canadian kids are about yeah about about hockey. It's it's amazing to watch because it's a totally different passion, and you know it gets me away from hockey aside from this. But uh, you know we're, we're talking about you in in management with a team and building a team. I mean, you won a Stanley Cup. You've been you've been to the finals three times. Of those three teams, was there? Of the two teams that didn't win, were were they was there one that might have been better than the one you won with? Was there a team that you were on before that was destined to win, but didn't? I mean, you know, uh, you know. Well, I been think the- I think I think the team in Edmonton would have won if Rollison didn't get hurt. Yeah, you know, we we would have won. 
There's no, we would have won game one. In my opinion, we would have won game one. No problem. No problem. He got hurt and then they start scoring goals. So who'd you lose to that year? Carolina. Carolina. And then, we, you know, we, we lost in seven. You know, there was, there's a lot of stuff going on that, um, you know, if Roley was healthy and could have played, I, I, I firmly believe we, we would have won. So Anaheim was not the best team that you had, you think? Oh, no. Anaheim, you asked me about who was the best team that didn't win. Yeah, I just I didn't know if one of those two teams was better than the one you won with. Just No, you know. no. Oh, God, no. No, the Anaheim team was was head and shoulders above all those. Did you know oh. that year was the year? From the goaltending to defense to the forward, just how we played the game. You know, we could we could play any way you wanted to. We could play tough. We could play tight D. We could play a finesse game. We could play, you know, it just, you know, having the luxury to to kind of feel out a game and decide how, how we're going to play. Um, you know, our first line was Kunitz, McDonald, and Solani. Our second line was Penner, Getzlaff, and Perry, 21, year, 21 years old. Uh, our third line was the Niedermeyer, Paulson, Moen line. And then our fourth line, we had Marchand at center, and we had George Peros. We got Mayday at the deadline. We had Sean Thornton. We had um, who else did we have? Shit, Tra- we had- did you mention Travis Moen? Yeah, he yeah, was in yeah. the third line. Uh, yeah. I mean, we had you know we had like Ryan Shannon. We had like four or five guys that kind of up and down from the minors, but they, they played a lot. Uh, and then on the back end, obviously, Scotty and I, but Scotty with Bosch, me with O'Donnell, uh, Kent Huskins. Uh, we got Richard Jackman at the deadline. We had Joe DePenta. We had uh, uh, Shane O'Brien for the first half of the year. Um, can you believe we got a first-round pick for him? <laughs> <laughs> Berkey moved him to Tampa Bay for a first-round pick. <laughs> I'm looking up I'm looking up your team. Pretty special team too when you have these two young bucks in uh uh Getzlaff and Perry that uh that played so well in that play playoff, you know, obviously yourself, yeah. Timo Solani. I mean, Scott Niedermeyer. It was a Scotty, great Scotty was the only guy that had won a cup at that point on our wow. team. And but, you know, you know a bunch of guys have been in the finals but never won. But you get by, you get by a couple of the big boy names, okay? And you had a lot of role players. Yeah. A lot of guys that did what it took. Like Sammy Paulson is a guy I played a cup of coffee with him in uh, Columbus. What a great, great hockey player. And he, that year, I remember that uh, he played incredible. Um, And just you go through the, the Rob Niedermeyer, Travis Moen, Dustin Penner, Kunitz, like you had a lot of guys that did what it took to win hockey games and they all knew their role. They all knew how to play and, uh, you know, obviously won the, won the ultimate prize. So like, I'm looking at your time on ice throughout the playoffs. Do you even know what it was? (laughs) I know it was a lot. (laughs) It's 30 minutes and 11 seconds. He averaged throughout the playoffs. Yeah. (laughs) Like you did rolled. We rolled 4d a lot. It was it was absolutely unbelievable, and I don't know Joe DePenta and Ken Huskins. They, they were what five minutes maybe. Yeah, even I'm going down. I'm scrolling down. Francis uh, Boschman, thirty minutes and thirty three yeah. seconds. Yeah, Rob, uh, An undercover tough defenseman, man. Holy yeah. shit! Again, was he played uh, played a little bit with him in in Montreal. Um, but uh yeah, what uh what a special team. And what was Scotty's uh, number? Scotty was uh 29 minutes and 51 Whoa. seconds. Floater. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. What'd you do That's, with your day with the cup? I had a uh killer party in my backyard in California. Uh had Sugar Ray come play. Come on. And, uh, yeah, because my brother was friends with the bassist. And I had, when you win the first couple of weeks, it just the cup kind of sticks around town, you know, doing, making the tours, all the bars and all the stuff. And uh, I had it come over to my house one night 
and I had a little, I had a little party at my house. My parents were in town. Uh, my brother was living in, Cal- in in Newport at the time, and I had a couple friends fly in from one from Toronto, one from uh, Maine, and so I had fourteen people there, four of which were were my brother and my kids at the time. So there was ten adults, and uh, and uh, Mike Bolt Cup guy comes. And I got all this wine out. I got it all decanting, getting ready to go. And I go, hey, man, I just got a bottle of Brian family or whatever it was. I go, you want to have a sip? And he's like, eh, I better not. You know, what, what time's the party starting? I go, dude, this is it. This is it. And he's like, what? I go, this, this is the party. The cup's here. The party started. So he's like, yeah, I'll have a glass now. And we had to, the, the cup got loose. So he's like, he took it apart. He's like, <laughs> you'd be shocked how they put that thing together. He put like some, a wedge of, uh, of uh, uh, beer case in there to kind of block it. And I mean, it was, it was, uh, he was basically doing rehab on it when we were there. Cause nobody wasn't, you know, it was just not being tossed around and passed around like it normally is. So what'd you do? Did you eat anything out of it? Drink anything? Ah, I'm I'm seeing these guys eating like uh, cereal out of the cup. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Like, no, my kids did that. I I didn't eat anything. I just drank out of it. There you go. (laughs) What's the, what's the first couple days like after you win? I mean, Oh, I woke up. So that was your third trip to the finals. Was it not? Second. second. That was your second trip. Okay. The, the nice thing about being on the West coast is our game was at, five o'clock, eight o'clock on the East coast prime time. So we were done. The game was over at seven 30. It was still light out. So we had, you know, we partied in the locker room for a while. Then we went out, they had a big tent set up for us. We went out there. I mean, I think I went home at like maybe one and I woke up in the morning and I was like, Oh boy, that was a tough one. And now you got to remember I had a separated shoulder. I separated my shoulder in the game five. And so I was a little sore and I woke up to go get some grease and get a a burger and fries. And uh, my phone rang in my car as I'm getting ready to go. I'm like, unknown number. I'm like, "Eh, well, I just won the cup last night. (laughs) How bad could it be? So I answered the phone and it was a friend of mine from St. Louis who was a Navy SEAL over in Afghanistan calling me to congratulate me. Come on. Yeah, it was uh, pretty cool. No shit. That they're is... all watching it, and I'm like, well, God knows where you are right now. <laughs> but we, we, we were talking, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wind down a little bit here, but we were talking before the show just for a second. I said to you, I go, what's off limits? And you're like, well, I guess we'll find out. And I said, well, I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, uh, a, a, a night where the facts are still very blurry here in Buffalo. <laughs> The media reports are one thing, uh, and if the media reports are as accurate as voting for the Norris on this, I'll say that they're pretty false. Yes. Um, what chance. happened in Chris Pronger's rookie year at Jim Kelly's bar in Buffalo? So, What are the true stories? Because the rumor is you were team, tossed in jail. Our whole team is there. So okay, you went so to jail? Don't yeah. let him finish the story. Went to jail in <laughs> Buffalo. And by the way, when I finish this story – you guys are going to need to talk to your cop buddies and tell them they owe me big time. So we're, we're all the whole teams in the bar, coaches, players, everybody's there. And it's probably one o'clock. And at that, there, there was some, some guys were at the front bar and then a bunch of us were towards the back. And I was standing there with Pat Verbeek, who was our captain and Kevin McCarthy, our assistant coach, defense coach, and another guy, I forget. And we're just having a conversation. And a bouncer walks up and goes, you need to leave. And we're like, why? we got all kinds of guys getting served still at the bar. We got, And he walks over and he grabs a bottle from Verbeek and just yanks it away. And he's like, you need to get out. You got to go. And we're like. Okay, well, whatever. And you know, in a bar, anytime there's a bouncer and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of other bouncers coming. So now they're in front of us. The door is on the other side of them. We can't go anywhere unless we go through them. How are we gonna get out of there? 
So now there's a wall of bouncers and now it's getting contentious. And there's a, there's probably eight of us here and we're just like, Hey guys, relax. Like we'll, we'll get out, whatever. It's not that big a deal. We'll leave. And they kept creeping forward and we're creeping backwards a little bit. And we're like, listen, we don't want a problem. Just let us go. We'll just, we'll leave right now. And they kept coming forward. They wanted to instigate something. And we're like, we're, we're not fighting. So, and behind us was the mall, right? So all of a sudden the cops come flying in. There hasn't been a punch thrown. There hasn't been nothing. Nothing's happened. And, and one bouncer is like mouthing off, mouthing off, mouthing off. And, and we're all just like, listen, we want no part of this. We'll go back to the hotel. We'll leave right now. And then all of a sudden the cops come flying in. And the moment that happens, all of a sudden, you know, get on the floor. And now a couple bouncers come in and they start kicking guys. They start doing stuff. A couple guys kind of take off through the mall. <laughs> and you know, we get a, we get cuffed. Now we're getting cuffed for doing nothing. We're getting cuffed, getting maced. So there was no bar fight? There was no bar fight. There was no fight. When when we got thrown to the ground, there was not one punch thrown. When we got thrown to the ground by the cops, one of the bouncers came over and started kicking our coach and apparently broke his toe, and I'll get to that in a second. So no, there was no punch thrown. There was no bar brawl. There was nothing. We get thrown in jail. They Now we get outside. I don't know if you, Ribs, you know where Jim Kelly's bar was or is or used to be. We don't know. We go out. We've been maced. We don't know what that was going on. They put us in the back of the car. We're all in the back of cop cars, and they go joyriding around the fucking city, motherfucking us while we're in the back. The cop shop is across the street from the bar. So think about that. They... I don't know what, I don't know why they did it. What happened? I, I really don't know. So now we get thrown in jail. We're there all night. We get, I think it was like seven or eight o'clock. How they, many guys were in jail? Six, six of us, seven of seven of us plus Jerry Brown. <laughs> Who's Jerry Brown? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. He got lumped in with us. <laughs> from, Jerry the bar, Brown. from the bar? I, I don't know, but I don't know how he got there, but he was in the loop with us. <laughs> so then, you know, we, they let us out. There's media all over, and I did the obligatory, you know, whatever. Like in eight, 19 years old. Like, give me a break. I don't know. And then uh, uh, we go back, back to the hotel. Now they want to suspend us. Now, again, we haven't done anything other than get thrown in jail for doing nothing. And the league wanted to suspend us because of the media and all, you know, all the stuff that kind of surrounded it. Uh, but they couldn't because Buffalo was in a playoff battle with Boston and they, the, the integrity of the game would have been compromised because there were seven of us that would got suspended. And, Come it, on. Was, and it was me, uh, Sanderson, Verbeek, um, so they basically went after you because you were the underage. Is that why they? Uh, no, no, no. They didn't why... come after me. They, they just. I, I was not the target. I got in shit after because I was underage, but they just went after the team in general, the bouncers. Why were the guys in the team uh, no, obnoxious no, or anything? No. Like said, I was standing to a waitress. there like this, having a civil conversation with two people, just talking, come and all on. of a sudden this guy came over. Did you guys kick the shit out of the Sabres or something that night? No, we didn't play them till the next, till two days later. We were in there early. I don't, honestly, I really don't know to this day. I don't know how it escalated and why this guy came over and started all this stuff. I don't know. Uh, So, so now fast forward, we go through all this shit, play the game, you know, whatever happens. I get traded to St. Louis a couple years later. And I'm walking into the rink, and this guy's sitting in the front lobby of, of the of the blues office. And this the 
the attendant at the front goes, uh, hey, Chris, uh, this person's waiting for you. I'm like, oh, okay, hey, what's up? You've been served. So the bouncer that was kicking our coach when he was on the ground getting handcuffed broke his toe and decided he would sue us for something, whatever. <laughs> I don't even know. You're kidding me. Malicious intent. <laughs> I don't even know. I all of a sudden I got a lawsuit. And I'm like, why am I getting sued? I didn't do anything. You had a lawsuit. That, that the lawsuit. No, I was involved. He sued all of us. Yeah. So he sued. Yeah, Patrick so you were all mentioned in the lawsuit. And you what know, happened with it? I think uh, Pat Verbeek had uh, house insurance that had some liability coverage and gave the guy, you know, the insurance company said, let's just give the guy 25 grand or something. Get rid of him. Why? Really? Well, because they didn't want to go through the lawsuit. It would have cost more in lawyers than what the guy wanted. Because it would have taken a long time to go through them. And then rather fucking pay the money with the lawyers. I I hear you. That dick bag. Like I'm going to give him money. That's, that's where we got screwed initially. So we all wanted to fight. We were like, we didn't do anything wrong. Okay. We didn't do anything wrong. We get out. We're like, we get to the hotel. We're like, we didn't do anything wrong. The coaches were there. They even saw it all. We didn't do anything. So they, they wanted us to, we ultimately to just kind of turn the page instead of fighting it and filing a lawsuit ourselves and be like, no, this is bullshit. Uh, we pled to no contest to trespassing <laughs> and they just kind of swept it under the rug. But what we should have did was just file suit for what they did. Yeah. You should have sued let them me, back. Let me read the headline from the Buffalo news on March 24th, 1994, seven from whalers arrested in brawl yeah. nightclub argument sparks melee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six like, hockey players and assistant coach. What's that barroom ball brawl? Anyways, I'm like, um, doesn't it's it's like now when you see a a baseball brawl where they all come off the out of the dugouts and they all stand around talking to each other. Oh my god, what a vicious brawl! That Christopher R. Pronger, yes. Christopher R. Pronger. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. How's yeah. the I, I got to be honest with so that's you. The story, I was expecting a way, way more interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like you guys brawled seven on 20 and yeah, wouldn't it be awesome? Took no. down some of the Buffalo bills and like, some. by, other- by the way, when all of this is going on, all right. Cause it, 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 it was a pretty big bar and we were kind of tucked around a corner. All of this is going on. These bouncers and we're, we got guys at the other bar drinking, ordering beer. Like, that's how fucked up this whole thing was. We have guys that are still sitting at the bar having a drink. Because they, they didn't know what's They didn't, they know didn't do anything? On. No, but they didn't know what was going on. It was not like we were screaming and yelling. It was just like they were coming forward. We were moving back. They were coming forward. We were moving back. And they, but, it, but it was beha- around a corner. So if you were sitting at the bar and they were facing this way with their backs to us, they wouldn't have seen it. What was they the locker room like? What was the locker room like the next day when you guys arrived to the rink? Were the guys just like, did they think, were they howling or what? Well, not howling, but like, how the hell did that just happen and become such a shitstorm for nothing? Nothing even happened. And then, of course, oh my God, what were you doing in the bar underage? I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Go back to my room and do nothing? The whole team was there. Like, it's a tough spot to be in as a 19 year old kid in the league. Eh? Well, let me just tell you right now, I would not be in my room. <laughs> Regardless, if it happened again, I would not be in my room. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, I got a few stories about, uh, you know, jail and stuff like that too, but uh, it's not my day <laughs> anyway, but it's not about you. Yeah, that's right. But listen, <laughs> I, uh, what, what's, what's awesome about this is I, uh, you know, I haven't talked to you in, in, uh, in years, you know, we, uh, we played against each other in junior hockey and had an opportunity to kind of play, uh, on the same team. I can't remember what it is like the under 17 team the under 17 and, uh, just got to know each other a little bit through our, uh, through our playing together and playing against each other. And 
couple, uh, probably about a month ago, a couple months ago, I saw you on Twitter and uh, some, some stuff popped up that, uh, that you were writing. And I thought, it, you know, when I started to read it, I was just really infatuated with how, how it was written. And you were, you were talking about um, player athletes and their financial issues after retirement. And uh, I'll read just your first little clip that you kind of sent out. And you said, I played 20 years in the NHL. I was one of the highest earning NHL players of all time and friends with many other pro, uh, with many other pro athletes. My guess is more than 50% of pro athletes have financial issues in retirement. And from there, it went on and on and on and on <laughs> with you telling, you know, describe. It, it exploded. It blew up. It blew up. But you described to people like not that you were you were talking about, oh, poor, poor players because we're losing all this money from, you know, taxes and agents and everything. Because every, you know, people That's have taxes. Start. You got to do that. <laughs> exactly. But then when I just started reading more and more and more, it's, it's just, um, you know, there, I know that there's a lot of players out there that they have a certain, you're in the league for a certain uh, time. You make a lot of money. You, we, we think that we make a lot of money yeah. and we spend a lot <laughs> of money. Like, I mean, a lot of money because we're all kids. We're all yeah. kids from 20 years old to to early thirties, if you're even lucky to make it that long, but then you all of a sudden you have 50 years after that, that you have to live. And I just loved how you kind of broke it all down. And, and my question to you is sense of it. Yeah. Like make sense of why you wrote that. Like, are you, are you super bored at home right now, sitting in your <laughs> office and you're like, I'm going to send this out. And I thought, yeah, it was no, I was, uh, I was down in Austin and I hooked up with actually a guy who on Twitter, uh, but he's from St. Louis, just had a big liquidity event, sold a company and we were at dinner and we were just talking about finances, talking about, you know, what do you, you know, what are you going to do with it? What's your big purchase? You know, da, da, da. you know, you work hard, you want to have one big purchase and then what are you going to do, et cetera. And he started asking me about, me but then more about you know athletes and this we start talking about it. i started kind of walking him through what i said in the in the uh in the thread and he's like dude you gotta you gotta you gotta put this on twitter i mean this would be great people need to know this stuff and i'm like ah, i mean come on are people really interested in this shit <laughs> i go you know so then as i'm doing it I'm they like, are yeah well i don't want you know the people that unfortunately only see the negative and only want to see that uh, it looks like I'm whining. I'm not, I, you know, it's, it's the thread isn't for them. The thread is for other athletes you hope that are going to read it. And, and maybe it's their financial advisor or their agent or their parents or their wife or their whomever sister, brother, whatever, and clue them into being an athlete is very short lived. Well, do you speak, do you speak to young athletes? I mean, about stuff like this, or is that something you th you'd like to start doing? I, because I mean, I do. Uh, I've talked to a few about it. Um, but, you know, I was 19, 20, 21, as I stayed in the thread. Everything, you know, my roommate and partner was Brad McCrimmon, 36 years old. I was 18. Everything that he told me about the league, about, you know, professionalism and, and how to be a pro and, and how to handle off the ice and how to do this, that, and the other thing, everything that he told me, truth, you know, everything happened. Did I listen to it and not make the mistakes? No, <laughs> because that was 19, 20, 21, you know, like that's yeah. what you do. Most people are in college fucking up nonstop when they're, yeah. you know, in this case, I was a professional athlete in the limelight you know, with some notoriety and with a lot of money going, okay, now what? And, you know, it's, if you don't have, you know, I've got good parents and, and they've got a good head on their shoulders and it was about investing and about, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
not everybody is blessed with that. Not everybody has the same education, the same, you know, another, you know, to that light, another thing that I've talked to a lot of people about lately is why do we not learn about finances in high school? What, what, why is there not just a simple course, whether it's grade nine, 10, 11, whatever, walk you through the banking system, walk you through finances, walk you through the stock market, walk you through, it's, it's incredibly complicated, yet it's very, very simple when you just have a little bit of knowledge so that you're not walking into life with no clue whatsoever about what's going on. Yep. And nobody's been able to provide any guidance or uh, answer to that question, which is pretty sad. But we're going to learn about all this other crap that we don't need to know about that Google, you, all you got to do is Google it. Get the answer. I just Googled your career earnings, actually, as you say that. <laughs> I swear to God, I did. There's a lot of zeros hey. in there, Bob. <laughs> well, there's only three numbers with a big M beside it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, like, what was your big purchase? I mean, what, what was something when you signed all, you're right. I, that's kind of like the, hey, I'm going to treat myself thing. And what was your big purchase? at that big moment um, in your, yeah, in your I, life? When I turned pro and signed my con, my first contract in Hartford, I bought a Ford Explorer. <laughs> um, you know, frankly, I can't fit in a Ferrari or Lamborghini or any of that stuff. And I, you know, I kicked the tires on maybe getting one, but uh, to be honest with you, they're incredibly hard how to get in and out of. This is when you were how old? Uh, 19, 18, 19, 20. So there wasn't a rookie signing bonus cap at that point, right? No. So, so a number two overall pick, do you mind, do you mind if I ask you, like, what was your signing bonus? Yeah, you can Google it. It was $4 million. But I got, I got a million. It was staggered, you know, as, as everything is. It was staggered, a million, a million, and then $2 million. So that first, I signed the contract. After training camp, I signed the contract. I got a check for eight hundred grand. Shut up. We kept twenty uh, percent for some of the tax, but not all of the tax. And then, what was your salary? Well, I had a year? check for eight hundred grand, and I just put it in the bank. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'll put it in the bank because <laughs> I didn't have a financial guy yet. I didn't have any of that because I had just got to Hartford. I was making thirty nine dollars every two weeks playing junior. <laughs> Forty. Forty in Kingston. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I didn't have a whole lot. It's easy to get lost with that. It's easy to get lost. I'm not saying that you did, but for a young athletes. Well, well to- think about it. You got all this money sitting in the bank, you know, 18 years old, you know, I'm in Hartford. What are you really going to do? If I was in New York or LA or Chicago, oh shit. Or Miami now. Yeah. Watch out. Uh, but it was probably it's all it's all about guidance. Yeah, it's all about, um, you know, you talked about your your parents and, and, and stuff like that and, and how they guided you with uh, with what you've done. And, you know, I, I want to tell a quick story because you, you just talked about you. You bought what uh, a Ford Explorer. Yeah. When I was 19 years old, Kingston, I uh, I grad. I ended up finishing there and I got called up to the Montreal. So they had to sign me to a contract. So we agreed on a contract. I ended up getting $175,000 bonus. I'm, you know, 19 years old. The world's just my, my oyster, right? <laughs> After I uh, finished in Montreal, I, I went home for the summertime and all I could talk about was getting, getting a big ride, big SUV. I wanted something sick. So my dad was like, absolutely. Let's go try them out. So we went to every dealership. Like, I mean, everyone. Dad sat there for hours getting the financials, you know, bitching and complaining about the undercarriage, spray this, that, and the other. (laughs) My dad was there. And uh, we had all these pamphlets after about a week of this. We had all these pamphlets sitting on the kitchen table. My mom was there. My dad was there. And I'm looking at all of them. And, uh, you know, should I go with the black? Should I go with this? And and then finally, my dad just said to me, uh, and these were all cars that were $40,000, $50,000, you know. 
which was a tremendous amount of money back in 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 like 90 whatever four or three anyway my dad says hey uh we got one more place that uh got one more place i want you to go to i said okay we're gonna go there tomorrow so my dad uh we get in the car and i said to my dad where are we going we're going to terry perilance I said, what the hell is that? He goes, I got a buddy who uh, has a used car dealership and I just want you to see this car. And if you know this, that, and the other. So I get there and the car that my dad wants me to look at is a baby blue Volvo <laughs> 740 GLE. So we take it for a drive. It's got baby blue seats and I'm driving this. We get the, we get the, the, the cost, which is like a fraction, right? We drive home and he spreads everything out on the table. He goes, I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is going to be your choice, but you've got all these, all the, all this, these cars that are going to cost you this much money. You're 19 years old. You know, do you really need this? And then you got this nice baby blue Volvo 740 GLE might be a good financial decision for you right now. And I, and I thought about it for a couple of days. And the funny thing is I made the decision on my own and I got that baby blue Volvo GLE. <laughs> and you know what? I look back in this situation and it's exactly what I would do all over again. If I had to do it, do it again. You know, it was a good move for me at the time. I did not need, you know, what I wanted. I wanted something and I could afford it, but I didn't need it. And, uh, you know, I had to wait uh, a few years before I ended up getting that. Uh, before you upgraded to the big truck. You're, yeah, so, exactly. you're so fucking noble, Craig. All right. <laughs> like you're just, you're just so good. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. I've never seen greatness like quite like you other than our guest. Uh, hey, hot, <laughs> hot seats. <laughs> And we're not going to uh, we're not going to you know give you any tough ones here. But I, I just you know before we leave, I want to throw you in the hot seat. Doesn't have to be rapid fire, you know. Some some lighter stuff first, you know. That would be favorite road city when you were playing. Ooh, uh, favorite road city. Enjoyed going to Toronto. Obviously, had a lot of friends there. Uh, New York. Um, Bloody hell, man. No Montreal. Uh, yeah, I like going to Montreal, but I didn't have as many friends there. I used it. The place I like to go would be where I normally have buddies or whatever. Yeah. And you go out for dinner, a few cocktails. Um, you know, going out west. I had a lot of friends out in Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of friends uh, that lived in uh, Montreal. Favorite city you played in? For what reason? Because uh, there's a, a few different reasons. Uh, Anaheim's pretty tough to beat. The first year I was there, we had 364 and a half days of sunshine. It drizzled one morning on the way to the rink. Uh, Philly was pretty cool. I wish I would have played there a little earlier in my career. Um. And, you know, I, I enjoyed my time in Edmonton playing in a Canadian city. Uh, it's, it's obviously got a different feel to it than, than playing in the States, obviously with the notoriety and, and everything, the, the bubble that you're in Montreal is worse. <laughs> um, but you know, there's, there's pros and cons. Unfortunately now I think a lot of players are figuring out the cons outweigh the pros and they don't want to play there. Uh, I was just going to say, like, uh, Edmonton is a tough place. To, the only way I think they're going to continue to have success if they don't win this year is by, you know, overpaying guys. You know what I mean? Because there's not – like, And that, and a, that only lasts so long. Right. <laughs> it catches up to you. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, we talked about uh, how – shame you only won one Norris. But who is the greatest defenseman to ever play hockey? Bobby Orr. In your era. Uh, well, it'd be, have to be Nick Lidstrom in my era. Where are you on that? Where are you on that? But we're of the same era. Played yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the same, same time. Yeah. Where, where are you on that list in your era? I'm two. <laughs> <laughs> you mean one B? Yeah. Yeah. I'm one. 
Well, one A and one B. I would say I'm one A, but whatever. Uh, Hall of Famer in 2015. Um, who isn't in that should be and needs to be in? Hmm. Give me a list of people because I could argue the exact opposite. Okay. All right. I let's have some... too many people in. Okay. Okay. Um, Personally, um, let's start. Let's start I, with I like. Um, I, I think it's be in my opinion again. I think it's become too media driven. In in the sense that it's we're, we're trying to promote people for this. They either they either have the numbers and have the accolades and have the the career to back it up, or they don't. And that's not to say that they're not good players and not great players. Maybe they're just not Hall of Fame type players, and that's okay. Whether I'm in there or not, people either deserve to be in or they don't. And and what is that number? Like baseball, if you hit 500 home runs or you hit 3,000 hits, you're in. Other than the steroid era, but it, but you're in. There's no real numbers to hit in hockey that, all right, he's an automatic. When it comes to baseball, the steroid era saved the game. So, I mean, throw those guys in too. I mean, yeah. you know, they're only hurting themselves and crushing dingers. I, I mean, <laughs> so, so it's it, – I don't, I don't know what the, what is the template because it, you know, you could argue the the player with the best statistics of anybody who's not in. Can you name him? He's a former saber. Yeah. McGillney. McGillney. Or oh. Pierre Turgeon. There you go. You know how many points he's got? Tons. 1,350 points. Why isn't he in? Again, he's a really good player. He had okay. some incredibly productive years, Buffalo and New York, where he had like, I think one year in New York, he had like 130, 140 points. Um, I played with Pierre a long time here in St. Louis. I, How I about know. Theo Fleury? There's, you know, or <laughs> is it everything else that's gone on? I mean, I don't know, but that, but that goes to the, to my point of, what are the numbers? If you score 500 goals, do you get in? If that's the case, there's a lot of guys that aren't in. If you get 1,000 points, do you get in? And, and sometimes it becomes a longevity thing. If you're Joe Thornton or you're Yarmer Yeager playing in your early, mid-40s, and Mark Recchi, you know, getting however many points he got. You know, is it a longevity thing? Is it a, you know, condensed career? Like, people argued, should Eric Lindros be in? I know a lot of people that don't think he should have been in. Now, when you look at his stats for eight or nine years, there's not very many people with as good as stats or an impact on the game as, as much as he did. I will punch in the fucking mouth. <laughs> the absolute dickbag that does not think that Eric Lindros should be a hockey Hall of Famer. I, I had to argue. He's the greatest people. player. I ever played against just I, for the I sake talk, of feeling one of those pillows. I'll tell you, he shouldn't be in lots of people. I know lots of people that they, they were like, yeah, he didn't play long enough. I'm like, well, how long do you want the guy to play? I go, I the know guy I was one of the most dominant hockey look at his players window of his run. When he was like the king of the crop, it was impressive. Impressive. Yeah, I, I I can't believe that people would think that he's not in. Jeremy Roenick, in or out? No, I, here's the problem. You got it. No, I don't think he should be. 1,363 games played. He had 513 goals, 1,216 points, 1,463 uh, games played yep. or uh, penalty minutes. But when you look at well, if you look at he changed the game with how he played. He all facets of the game, face-offs, physicality, scoring, playmaking, defending. You know, you could argue a lot of things that you may or may not like about him, but you can't argue the fact that from the time he got to Philly to the time he got hurt. That window, whether it was seven years or eight years or whatever it was, 
There were there were not very many players as dominant as he was. Gretzky or McDavid? Well, you got to go with Gretzky right now. We'll see. It's early for the other one. <laughs> the yeah. other great one. <laughs> okay. So if I were to say this to you, that Connor McDavid is the greatest player to ever don skates, would I be wrong? Not yet. Why? Who's better? To ever? To ever don skates. Did you play against Mario in his prime? Yes. I, saw, I watched from the bench and watched them score four goals. and two Prime, of them prime. Were, two of them were from behind the net. Here's, but I'm, what here's I'm the saying problem. is... No, but here's the problem when you start doing this. The problem is when you're going era to era, put Connor McDavid in the 90s. Let's see how good he is. I'll I tell you he, what, he'd be I bitching think, all... Just like Patrick Kane. I used to hear him complain. I go, dude, you need to play in the 90s. Stop your bitching or you'll get your arm broke. <laughs> it's kind of true, actually, when you, when you put it that way. It is true. I, I always overlap. I always skip the nineties. You start comparing all these things. It's, I always it's say when, difficult. when you time warp a guy, I always skip the nineties and put him to the eighties. <laughs> well, that's what I, for me, it's like, we could sit here and we could argue till we're blue in the face on this all day long. But I'm, what I'm trying to do is not even worry about the eras because obviously Rain Gretzky is the greatest player to ever play the game because in his time he did things that were just completely mind-boggling and you look at Bobby Orr in his time you know he's the only defenseman to ever I think win a scoring title if I'm not mistaken back in the day but I'm talking about Connor McDavid is the greatest player to ever don skates yeah I don't care like I mean he is truly incredible because this game that we're all watching right now has never ever been faster and more skilled than what it is today. And that's why when you look at him, he is so far above the rest that uh, I, I'm, I why did you say Mario Lemieux? You won't why? know because we, you know, he got hurt early. He had a bad back. Then he had the cancer. Then he had, then he only played home games. Then he only, you know, then he bought the team. Then he, Played whenever he felt like it. I mean, it's just, you look at his stats, 800 games, 1,600 points. Like, hello. He's the, he's the one guy that came the closest to beating Gretzky's goal-scoring record. So, yeah, um, you know, you can argue some of these till you're blue in the face, and we won't know the McDavid thing for, you know, five or six more years. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle. And at Craig Reve 52 at the instigator 76. And you can find us as you already know on Apple, Spotify and YouTube and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.